we have something special today. I have a good friend of mine, and I mean friend, first, Pastor Craig and Sharice Felty are here with us today. And Pastor Craig is going to be able to, is going to share the word on pneumatology on the Holy Spirit today. And I just want to give you just a little snapshot of this, this amazing couple. I've known them for maybe uh, 12 years now. 12 years. Me and Pastor Craig met in Midland, Texas, uh, when all the guys wanted to go play golf. And it was just me and my, it was my wife and his wife. They wanted to go to the mall. So me and him went to the mall and enjoyed ourselves at Midland Mall while they went shopping. So it was a great thing. But really, and also, I was able, he, had a, he pastored a church in Big Springs, uh, Texas, and he was at, had me come down and speak. But God has knitted our heart together with an amazing way. And again, most of all, you know, he's on our board of directors. If you know, we have a few people on our board of directors here. We have four people, and he's one of our, our guy on our board. And uh, but the greatest thing is, he's a friend, and uh, he's uh, he's been uh, itching to come up here and really get going. And I'm gonna have you and your wife come up so we can give you guys a hand clap this morning. Amen. So. Oh, yeah. Come on, everyone. Come on. That's it. That's it. So he um, he had a time the last few years. Uh, he was having fun, wasting his life, going to um, ORU, and he just graduated Master's of Divinity. So he's excited about that. And uh, he said it wasn't that tough. He can take about three or more. But <laughs> but really, can, open, can we open our hearts to him? Also, he walks in the prophetic. So I, I just told him to be you. And uh, again, they're just an amazing couple. And they're family. And he says we're part of his spiritual family, and we're together. God's going to do amazing things with us together. Amen? All righty. All right. This is my wife, Sharice. If you have not met this awesome lady, how many of you remember? I think it was the third indiana jones movie where he goes to find the holy grail and he's in the cave there back inside and one guy chooses the wrong cup and drinks from it and he turns to powder and blows away and indiana jones chooses a cup and he drinks from it and he's healed and the knight the templar knight that is there says you have chosen wisely when every time that i look at this beautiful lady I hear the echo of that night saying, you have chosen wisely. I haven't got, that's not copyrighted, so you can go ahead and use that in other situations. But you've got to use it, there's a limited number of years on that because that movie's going to be so old (laughs) that those of us, you're going to have to tell that in the nursing home soon. Wow. You guys are amazing, an amazing group of people. Um, we have, like I say, uh, Pastor Rich said we've been involved with them for about 12 years. I'd almost forgotten the mall thing. That was fun. And, uh, but uh, I'd almost forgotten about that. That's, that was an amazing time. And we just got to s- sit around and hang out and talk. And here's part of the deal is at these pastoral golf tournaments, I always got stuck with the new guy because everybody else knew how bad I was. And so I got to know all these really cool, up-and-coming new guys coming into every nation. And Pastor Richard and Donna were some of those guys. And talk about faithful and hanging in there. 
You know, when I was first saved, the hardest thing for the Holy Spirit to do was to get me to stand up and talk. Now the hardest thing for the Holy Spirit to do is get me to sit down and shut up. So you guys are probably in real trouble. This is my, uh, he told me that about four years ago, really actually four and a half years ago. We passed the baton of Cornerstone Church in Big Spring over to the next pastor and without knowing what was next. Had no idea. Um, Grace Point became involved in helping us make the transition along with Mid-Cities and Family Church in Albuquerque. Our family of churches helped us financially make that transition and, and helped support us through that first year. And then through that, the first thing the Lord told me to do was go back to school. Cool, cool, Lord, I'm going to go back to ORU. I'm going to get all this faith and power and wonderful stuff, and you're just going to let me go out and preach on the weekends and do stuff like that. And he said, well, sort of. You're going to go, go to ORU, and you're going to study, and you're going to gain some stuff that you probably should have done many years ago. But I'm going to share a secret with you. This is the first time that the Holy Spirit has allowed me to preach in four and a half years. So you guys are in serious trouble. (laughs) Who is the Holy Spirit? How many of you think you know who the Holy Spirit is? It's okay, so did I. And the more I get to know, the more I understand. You know, we can understand a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is, but He is part of infinite God, and we have limited brain space. We have limited heart space. We have uh, this limitation. I remember one time, it's, it's been probably 10 or 15 years ago, the Lord got hold of me, and I said, I was being really spiritual. Lord Jesus, let me see with your eyes. Let me hear with your ears. Let me think with your mind. Let me love with your heart. And the Holy Spirit stopped me right there, and he said, your heart is too small and too hard to love like I love. Lord, I was being all spiritual and stuff, and there you go, mess it up. And he started to chisel the hard parts off of my heart. And it hurt really bad, and it hurt really good. But the wounds of her friend are faithful. And as you allow the Holy Spirit to minister in your life, He will ask you to do some really unusual things. As a pastor of 13 years, with a paid-for building, decent staff, everybody was going and moving. And, and of course, we had our little ups and downs and, and hiccups along the way. But as a pastor of what everybody would call a successful church, because, you know, usually churches, you transition when the bills aren't paid. You transition when there's issues going on and the bills were paid. The building was paid for. And the Lord said, it's time to go. It's time to turn it over to someone else. And he, he was gracious. Now, and now, if the Lord tells you that and he says next week, you better double check. This was a two-year process. He began speaking into my heart saying, two years, you're done. And it took him that long to just really get my heart in the right spot. 
So the Holy Spirit's going to ask you to do some very unusual things, probably. But it's kind of the thing about who's the boss. Now, that wasn't really supposed to be the introduction to this message this morning, but that's kind of for free. But there are some of you that really needed to hear that, that the Holy Spirit is not about being weird. The Holy Spirit is about being unusual in your life. It's about Him being the boss. And we're going to get into that as, as far as part of what's going on today. He is the boss. You know, Jesus is Lord. But the Holy Spirit's going to be the boss of you and of me. And that's not about making you weird. It's just got, it's about making you willing to be whatever he decides for you to be. And so let's talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is the vibrant, powerful personification of the life of God. Now, that's not just being imaginative and literary and, and putting some kind of um, personhood or, or anthropomorph, what do you, anthropomorphism. It's, I teach high school, so I can't use those big words anymore. And uh, so, um, which, by the way, Pastor Richard didn't tell you that I basically live on the edge of insanity. I live on the edge of insanity. I teach junior and senior high school students. I teach physics. I teach anatomy and physiology. I teach music history and Bible <laughs> in a public high school. And that's an amazing thing to be able to do. It's awesome to be able to stand in front of a, a group of high schoolers and talk about the Bible in class. And we have a very supportive uh, group of um, board members and principals and things like that. Now, we have our lines, and we, you know, there's places you go and don't go, but it's amazing how many young people that have been able to just give a word from the Lord. And in class, in high school, you can't say, well, I have a word from God for you. It's going to cross the line for them. But uh, the Holy Spirit brings ways that you can do that. And, and I'd like to talk more about that in just a, a moment. But see, this is not imaginative literary imagery where we're taking this impersonal force and personifying him. It's not like we're personifying electricity, even though he's more powerful than that. It's literal fact. He is one of the three persons of the Trinity. How many of you understand the Trinity? Liar. It's the triple unity. That's a logical contradiction. So if you say you understand the Trinity, you're either lying or crazy. You have a, a, a tenuous grasp on logic because Trinity is illogical. It's something the early church fathers came up with to try to explain this stuff. It doesn't make sense. Why doesn't it make sense? Because God is infinite. And we are finite. Now, just now, if I ask you how many of you understand some about the Holy Spirit, you could raise your hand and everything would be cool. I wouldn't call you liars. And you know, I'm not being mean. I'm, I'm just getting you to understand that we have very little grasp on who God is. 
the amazing thing. We could not understand him, but we can. he can reveal himself. We can't find him. We can't discover him. He can reveal himself. And that's the awesome thing about the Holy Spirit. He is the part of the triunity, the trinity. That's what that means. It's just a contraction. He is the same essence. He's the same stuff. And eternally coexists with the Father and the Son. Now, as God, he's omniscient. What does that mean? He, it means he knows everything. There's nothing outside the realm of his understanding and wisdom. Nothing. He's omnipotent. There's nothing that he desires to do that he cannot do. And because he is one. Now, how many of you uh, um, remember the Shema? The Hebrew thing. We call it the Shema, you know, before we knew that Hebrews don't say it that way. The Shema is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. And I could get fancy and say, go back, well, in the Hebrew, word, Hebrew, one means this. Well, in the English, one can mean one. Or it can mean we are one. Right? And so this word in the holy in the in the bible in um where is it it's in deuteronomy 6 4 deuteronomy 6 4 and it's um basically one and that's what it means one as in it could it it, it can express one a, a physical unit which we know that that's not what we're talking about with god because he's not physical spiritual but it can be one in purpose that the Lord is one, that the characteristic that the children of Israel always said about God is he is one. So the Holy Spirit is never going to do anything that's at odds with the Father and the Son. And that extends all the way through Jesus to the written Word of God. The Holy Spirit is not going to act contrary to the Word of God. That's the reason it's so intensely important for us to be let the word of God fill us and flow through us and just permeate our entire being because the Holy Spirit is going to work in concert and in agreement with that word. Now if we if you think the Holy Spirit has moved outside of what the word of God says, you're wrong. Mistaken. Misguided. And because or or just don't understand yet. I can tell you how many times, there are so many times that I have totally messed up and blamed it on God. Anybody ever totally messed up and blamed it on the Holy Spirit? And it was usually because I said, okay, Lord, you and me, we can do anything. Yeah, as long as he's the boss. But I was trying to take his stuff and go and, and help him out good. And that's usually when we mess up. And the Holy Spirit always agrees with and acts according to the will of the Father. And he will always agree with and act to uphold biblical truth. All right? Now, the Holy Spirit has been called the third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So he's number three. But if you look at the Bible, he's the first one to be mentioned individually. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God 
moved on the face of the water. Now, I think this, this word is hard to translate. This little Hebrew word there, I do want to get a little into it with you because I'm a physics teacher. How many nerds out there? You, you, you like physics a little bit, okay? And some of you guys, some of you physics nerds may be beyond me. So don't get too crazy with it. I'd, I'd only teach high school physics, all right? But this is this Hebrew word here doesn't, it's, when we read it, and we read it, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. It's like the Holy Spirit's water skiing or something. No, it's doing his little glide right across the face of the water. And it, no, it's it really, no, come on. Uh, it is the Holy Spirit is vibrating, imparting energy. And if you understand a little bit about physics, they, bit, everybody's heard the Big Bang Theory, right? Not the sitcom. <laughs> Not the sitcom. Before it was a sitcom, it was scientific theory. And this means that at the very beginning, the very beginning of everything, before there was time, before there was anything, there were what scientists like to call a singularity. It means one. <laughs> Y'all are catching that, right? I saw a couple of eyebrows go, oh, yeah, <laughs> one. <laughs> we got him. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is. One, and scientists talk about the singularity, and scientists say, we don't know how those singularities come to be, but it was infinitely small, infinitely dense, and infinitely powerful. Oh, yeah, but what the, the Bible says that the Spirit of God quivered, vibrated, hovered over the face of the deep or the waters as it's as it says and we translate it with this just little uh, moved i'm just not moved by that one but this is he vibrates and if you understand the a little bit of the physics there um dr gerald schroeder a physicist at mit he's a physicist and a rabbi and if you have a chance to pick up his book it's probably still in print it's called the science of god and, uh, or, and you can definitely uh, Google it and pick it up online. But if you're really into this stuff, Dr. Schroeder talks about the containment that is necessary to get something to critical temperature. It only, it only takes a few milliseconds, but you've got to have a certain amount of holding it in while it gets to critical temperature. The mass was already there, but it's got to have a critical amount of energy. Temperature is just a measure of energy. So if you take that and put it all together, the Holy Spirit had to contain it and impart energy into it. And then it spread out at the speed of light or very close to the speed of light. Uh, Dr. Schroeder then goes through the computations to show how that from a six-day perspective on the earth moving at the speed of light and slowing down slightly every billion years or so that it would take when you're traveling at light speed time slows down it would take six six days to go through about 13 billion years uh, so scientifically they just did the math to show that the Bible can be accurate and speak to this and for years, we've always taken this thing and we say, well, the Bible is quaint poetry. 
And it's a, it's a representation in poetic terms of what actually happened. And yes, it is that. It puts it in. It's very poetic. And it's, it's literary. And it's according to the literature of the time, it's exactly right. But what I want you to understand is that the first several verses there, he sets the stage for things that we're just now discovering really work that way. And so according to our understanding right now, it's possible to see how the Holy Spirit hovered over this incredible mass of things and compressed it and then energized it to just the right level. How many of you know we don't have Ronco cordless electric fusion like Dr. Brown in the uh, Back to the Future? You know why we don't have cord Ronco cordless electric fusion or cordless fusion machine? Because hydrogen fusion lacks one thing in our uh, ability, containment. Can't contain that kind of power. And so the Holy Spirit contained the entire universe. This is how powerful the Holy Spirit he, is. He contained the entire universe, imparted the energy into it, and then boom, there it goes. Infinitely more powerful than our sun. Amazing who the Holy Spirit is. And so... The Big Bang Theory breaks down because scientists don't acknowledge the power of the Holy Spirit because it had to have containment, tremendous energy, and then at the right time be released. And so when you factor in the Holy Spirit, the process only takes a few microseconds, but it's impossible without His power. And scientists talk about the singularity there. Now, there's other theories. I don't want to say, you know, that's it. You know, scientifically, we've proven how God did it. Um, how many know that that's happened through the centuries, and we've usually ended up being wrong as we discover more? So we just say, hey, right now, as far as we know, this looks like it's plausible. It's right. And it's as good an explanation as anybody can give you, and it's scientifically valid. But in the overall context of Scripture, here's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the agent of impartation, putting forth the agent of impartation of the power, life, wisdom, and purposes of God to the physical universe. And see, during the time of Joseph, the Holy Spirit was recognized as the author of supernatural wisdom by the Egyptian Pharaoh. Joseph interpreted his dream. Pharaoh said, well, that's God. That's God like no other God. He gives wisdom to his people. He's known throughout the Old Testament primarily as the Spirit of the Lord or Spirit of God or the Spirit of Yahweh, Jehovah, however you want to transliterate, the YHWA, the Tetragrammaton for those that are into that. Um, but King David called him the Holy Spirit. Now, why is the Holy Spirit holy? You know what holy means? Now, most of us, I, for years, I thought holy meant exceptionally clean. Really, really good. Holy means just set apart for a specific purpose. Do you see? My toothbrush is holy. I don't want you cleaning the bottom of your shoes with my toothbrush. It is set apart for a specific purpose. Or in the case of God totally out of the realm of any other category. He has his own category. That's holiness. Now let's get over having this 
really weird connotation of being holy. Well, I'm holy. Do you ever watch the uh, original Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? What happens when he gets holy? Well, his hair gets blown back and it gets really white. And he talks like he's on something. And his eyes are really wide. And he speaks with a big voice, slowly. Now, why do people do that? Say, well, obviously you're not holy. You're talking fast now. People did that because of technology. How did preachers have to preach before microphones? Slowly, with a big voice. And that got equated with spirituality. It's a technological thing. It's because people saw it, and people saw this preacher standing up and say, Come to Jesus! And they thought everybody would talk slow. It's just because you had to give the echo time to get out there so that people could understand you. Now we got microphones. Moses can talk fast. The Holy Spirit is holy because he's in a class by himself. There's nothing to compare with God, and so God is holy. He's the holy life because there's nothing that comes close. You better remember that about my toothbrush, too, just in case. Isaiah referred to him as the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, even though the Holy Spirit is infinitely powerful, he has the delicate control to be the sustainer of fragile human life. The gentleness of the Holy Spirit allows him to indwell the innermost being of those who have been reborn by the blood of Jesus. Now see, it's taught all around our nation and around our world that Jesus died so you could go to heaven. I hope I just rattled your cage just a little bit there. Jesus died so we could be full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus paid the price so you can be full of His Spirit. You see, the gentleness of the Holy Spirit allows Him to indwell those who have been reborn by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. Anybody an electrician here? No, anybody know anything about electricity? Anybody ever plugged in your refrigerator? Okay. Well, we may be. Okay. Basic physics lesson, basic electricity lesson. What happens if a wire is too small when you plug it in? It gets hot and it can burn out. What happens if you have a wire that has impurities and it hasn't been purified? Even if it's a big wire, if it's got impurities in it, what happens? You plug it in and it gets hot and it burns out. Why won't the Holy Spirit inhabit your life if you have not been purified and cleansed of sin by the blood of Jesus? Because you can't take it. See, a lot of people think that the Holy Spirit doesn't come in because he doesn't want to get his toes dirty. Please, 
He is God. I mean, he could just kind of wipe the whole thing out. God loves you so much that he doesn't want to come in and you just kind of go like, You like one of the aliens on Men in Black when they get them with the little bitty tiny gun and they go. That's you with sin and the Holy Spirit. He will not stay where sin is. Not because he's afraid of sin. But because sin causes his presence to become intensely hot, painful, and explosive. That's why they used to tell the priests that they better be clean before they go into the Holy of Holies. Not because God was afraid of their dirt, but because God didn't want his power to wipe them out. Because his power cannot flow in impurity without burning it up. So I want you to understand, holiness is not a matter of demonstrating something for your friends. The cleanness of the Holy Spirit is not about demonstrating something to the people around you. It is so that the Holy Spirit can come in you. You're cleansed by the blood of Jesus so the Holy Spirit can come in. Man, I just jumped way ahead. We may just have to skip most of this message and go to praying. Uh, You see, the Holy Spirit came upon and empowered people in the Old Testament and in the uh, New Testament before Jesus was resurrected. The Holy Spirit came upon people. And you'll notice that language. The Holy Spirit came upon Samson. The Holy Spirit came upon David. The Holy Spirit revealed himself. And he was still that agent of impartation of power and wisdom and anointing. The Holy Spirit came upon Isaiah and upon Micah and the prophets, all the different prophets. He, he came upon them. He spoke to him in dreams and visions. But he didn't get to come inside again. Until Jesus. You see, God is omnipresent and his power is inescapable. The Spirit of God is inescapable, but there's nowhere that he's not present. Now, is it any wonder that unbelievers have invented all these weird religions? Pantheism. God is everywhere, in anything, in everything. God is in my dog. You sweet little thing. You try to speak to me. (laughs) And we get people out there barking like dogs saying it's the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I'm not brave enough to say that's not the Holy Spirit sometimes, but uh, primarily no. It might be be the Holy Spirit the first time, but the second time it's like, hey, that was fun. Okay, you know, if, if, you, if you're going to do Fido Church, uh, it's, mm, okay. And I want to tell you, I've, I've been in some places where there's some pretty different things going on in the name of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it was the Holy Spirit. But the second time it usually wasn't. second time it was like, mm, yeah, we just thought that was cool and we, we got a charge out of it. The Holy Spirit was here so they tried to remanufacture it. I had a group of friends at one time. I never did get to do this. I, I, thank you. Praise you. They were into roaring. Anybody going through the roaring revival? It's, it's the Lion of Judah. 
Mm. And so they would have roaring meetings. And they were so excited. And I'd get these emails, so-and-so roared for an hour and a half last night in the spirit and they broke they broke the power of the spirit of something over something by the lion of judah roared through them and i and i and let me tell you something if the holy spirit tells you to do that okay but i want to see the fruit later if you're going to say the holy spirit roared through me and broke this spirit of bondage over the people of Abilene, I better start seeing the people of Abilene free. Or else you're just being a nut. Okay? Let's kind of tell it like it is. You're just being a little weird. Well, let's tell it like it really is. You're being a lot weird. We were part of a church in Lubbock when the laughing revival was going on. How many got some laughing revival? That was hilarious. I mean, our pastor, he, he got up and said, all right, we're going to laugh now in the Holy Ghost. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I'm getting it already. Uh, but, and let me tell you something. The other part of that is I saw the Holy Spirit do that in my wife where she had been grieving and hurting so badly and I saw the Holy Spirit come upon her and she laughed for four hours straight and was healed. The difference is she she didn't want to do that. The difference is she said, Holy Spirit, do with me what you will. The difference is is when she was done, she was free. Because whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do, when he's done, you're free. When he's done, you're more powerful. When he's done, you're better. See, this Holy Spirit's inescapable. He's everywhere, but we cannot take his presence lightly or for granted. We can't manufacture this stuff in the Holy Spirit. You can't say, wow, a lot of people were blessed and they they really liked it when we hopped for Jesus. So let's just hop every week. Then the Holy Spirit, after about the second week, the Holy Spirit said, well, okay, that's fun. This that time. I'm ready to go on. And if you keep hopping, he's going to go on and you can keep hopping. And if you keep laughing, he's going to go on and you can keep laughing. He'll, because he can be resisted. Acts 7.51 says, you who resist the Holy Spirit, and he's usually resisted by good religious folks. We can be isolated from him and banished from his presence. David said, you can be isolated. King David said this, and banished from his presence. Does that mean he's not everywhere anymore? It just means, no, I'm sealed off from being able to know him and understand him because of who I've decided to be. Now, even though the Holy Spirit is present, all-powerful, Everywhere, he's not impersonal. Okay, I want to just go through a few things real quickly. He's got infinite knowledge and intellect. He's properly referred to in Scripture by masculine personal pronouns. Now, is that because he's a man? No. It's just because in our language, if you don't know the gender of somebody, you, you say he. Well, kind of now we go they. 
because that's politically correct, but in the English language, typically you've just used masculine in the absence of knowing. Other languages, it kind of switches around. But always the Holy Spirit has gone by masculine pronouns. It's a holdover from the Hebrew and everything else like that. It's a linguistic thing. He has emotions and experiences sorrow and grief. I'm giving you the references here, and I'm just going to go through that very quickly. Please study that some more. Uh, he speaks to people on a personal basis. He's going to say something to you. You've got that. I think you got those uh, notes when you came in. Awesome. And go back and do that. We're going to quickly. He speaks to people and through people. He's personal, but he's not restricted to a body or a shape. He can be poured out on people and nations. And when he's poured out, what happens? The land becomes bountifully productive. The people manifest the gifts of the Spirit. And God is glorified. See, God gets the glory for it. Okay, now this is where it starts to get exciting. The indwelling Holy Spirit is a promise of God the Father and a gift that Christ gave the church. The gift of the Holy Spirit is also referred to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, why do we talk about gift? I already touched on it a little bit, but Jesus died, paid the price for you to be cleansed and set free so that you can now receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because that was unavailable from the time of Adam until the time of Jesus. When Adam sinned, let me tell you, uh, let me just, no. Okay, we got a few minutes. Let's go. I just, I don't want to wear you out, but I want to show you something here. That when God breathed into man the breath of life, it wasn't just talking about breathing in and out. All the animals that he created do that. Everything in the animal kingdom does that. Every living cell does that on some basis. There's respiration. And so that's not the issue. He breathed into man the breath of life, the Holy Spirit. God's very life and breath was breathed into Adam. And he said, in the day that you eat of the tree of the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil, then you will surely die. Eve took it, ate it. Adam took it, ate it. And they were still walking around and breathing. But they died. The Holy Spirit within them left. Because immediately they knew they were unprotected. Immediately they knew they were naked. The Holy Spirit could no longer live in them because they sinned. The essence of sin is not... I did this deed or that deed. The essence of sin is being boss instead of the Holy Spirit. Because when they chose the knowledge of good and evil, they chose the power to make up their own mind about what was good for them and what was not. I chose to be my own decision maker. I chose not to follow the Holy Spirit anymore as Adam. And we're all born with this. What In America, what's the... What's the pinnacle of business success? Be your own boss. And that's the opposite of what God wants us to do. Jesus came and died so you don't have to be your own boss. 
Jesus came and died so that the Holy Spirit, who has infinite knowledge, infinite power, infinite wisdom, and he's everywhere, he knows everything, he knows the future, knows the past, and knows everything about everything, can be your leader. Why would I trade that for being my own boss? That's the first thing I'm going to ask Adam, if he made it. Why would I trade that? But since Jesus paid the price for the redemption and rebirth of our spirit, soul, and body, he comes in and he can indwell us. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is given to believers, and it causes the life of God to flow through their innermost being and from it. That's John 7:30 at rivers of living water. Remember, come forth from out of their innermost being. And when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father, the Holy Spirit poured out on 120 disciples that were gathered together to wait for that promised gift. And the believers began to speak in languages that were not known to them, but they were understood by Jews from other countries. And you have to understand, by this time, the Jews had been so spread out, and so many of them didn't speak Hebrew anymore. They spoke the languages of those other countries. So when the Holy Spirit came upon these 120 disciples in the upper room, and they went out speaking in other languages, the Latin word for that, that's, it's language and tongue, are the same thing. So when speak with other tongues, that just means different languages. And they all recognized them in the native language of the country that they come from. When combined with the bold preaching of the newly empowered Peter. Remember, Peter was always saying the wrong thing and, and getting, oh, I'm going home, I'm going fishing. Uh, he was always saying something dumb. All, right, all of a sudden, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is just awesome now. I mean, he just lays it down the line, opens up the Scriptures, slices and dices, and these guys are all going, what do we do? And Peter tells him exactly what to do, and 3,000 people come to Christ. And they're joined to the baby church. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The Apostle John relates the last time Jesus spoke to his disciples before his crucifixion in chapter 13 through 16 of the Gospel of John. As he told of the coming ministry of the Holy Spirit, he used the term parakletos four times. In John 14, 6, he promised another comforter, Alan Paracleton, would be sent by the Father to stay with them forever. He then goes on to explain what some of the Holy Spirit uh, will do, what, some of what the Holy Spirit will do when he comes. Okay, in verse 26, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would teach the disciples and remind them of what they've been taught. Chapter 15, verse 27, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will testify of Christ. And then through chapter 16, verses 8 through 15, Jesus explained what the Holy Spirit, and that he would reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Then the Holy Spirit would guide the disciples into all truth, show them things to come, and glorify Jesus. Now the resurrected Jesus promised that the disciples would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now let's back up to that Acts chapter 1, if you don't mind. Oh, I don't have, I'm sorry, that's not there. Sense of the, here's the thing. The fortifying influence of the Holy Spirit. You what, understand what I'm saying when I say fortify. 
originally when the Bible was translated into the English language, they took a Latin word because there wasn't a good word in English that described what the Holy Spirit did. In 12th and 12th and 13th century Britain, they called the Holy Spirit the Frofergast. Yeah, because Frofer meant something like we think comfort means. It was like he would soothe you, comfort, and, and make it nice for you. Frofer just meant more accommodating, more comfortable. Well, the Latin comfort means to fully strengthen, to fully empower with fort, with strength. So they pulled this Latin word over and said, no, the Holy Spirit is more than just making it nice for you. The Holy Spirit is not the add-on package for your Christian life. The Holy Spirit is not the leather seats and alloy wheels and XM radio. He's a little bit like OnStar. But he is the essence of strengthening. And the first outpouring of the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost illustrates the foundational ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is to draw people to Christ. It's not a redirection or a change. As I said before, the Holy Spirit has been involved in imparting the power and life of God into the natural world since the very first of creation. When someone comes to God and is reborn through the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the disconnect. Now, how do you spell the disconnect between God and humankind? S-I-N. That's the disconnect. That disconnect between God and humankind is removed by the rebirth in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is again free to impart the life, power, and wisdom, and knowledge of God from the deepest levels of the human heart. See, and now, listen, and Peter said to them, Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Jesus divided Christian era ministry of the Holy Spirit into three phases. Remember, we talked about it a little bit before, and it's in John 16, 8 through 11. John chapter 16, 8 through 11 says, And when he comes... Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit here. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So let's just spend a few minutes and unpack that. And I promise I'm going to try to wrap up quickly and and get you there because I know it's hard for your mind to comprehend more than your bottom can endure. How many of you are still with me? How many of you are just being nice? Okay, the Holy Spirit's active in confronting the world, number one, with the fact that sin remains because people do not believe or respond in faith to Jesus. Just thinking that Jesus was the Son of God is not going to cut it. You must, you must respond in faith to Jesus. This is the first phase of his ministry. 
Okay? And it includes the ministry through the church and also his direct reminders through human conscience. Now, the ministry of righteousness includes the salvation that's available because of Christ's birth, death, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of God the Father. The rebirth and the new nature are displayed in the lives of those who were formerly lost in unrighteousness. And that testifies again to the, to the power of Christ's salvation. Those who respond with faith in Jesus Christ receive the Holy Spirit unto salvation and are made righteous. Now listen, the long history of Christian martyrs witnesses to this. See, the intensely fortifying essence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer seems to be missing in our popular conceptions. And it may not be in yours, but if you go out there and talk to most Christians, what does the Holy Spirit do in your life? He gives me strength way down the list. He gets me through tough situations is kind of on the top. But theologian Bruce Shelley says this, in the first and second centuries... Christians look for the proof of the Spirit's power, not in an office, but in the lives of believers. They saw the paraclete in terms of moral energy. In fact, the high level of morality evident in the Christian congregations was, in fact, a primary argument for the truth of Christianity. Even non-Christians witnessed that Christians had been raised to a higher level of moral power. Now, when I say moral power, it's not, you know, it's not like we think of morality, don't do sex, don't do drugs, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like facing death differently than anyone else. Telling the truth when it was, un, it would, it was certain death to tell the truth and still witnessing to the truth of Christ. No compromise type of morality, the strength to do that. And that's missing for most of us. Justin, who's... Last name, he be, he's known as Justin Martyr now. But Justin was a, a lawyer that basically uh, was persecuting Christians. And the way that they faced the trials and death converted him. Justin confessed that the steadfastness of Christians convinced him of their purity and that these impressions proved decisive in bringing him over to the faith. And we frequently read in the accounts of the martyrs that the courage and loyalty of Christians made an overwhelming impact on those who witnessed their trial or execution. So much so that some of the spectators suddenly decided to become Christians themselves. It is over and over in first and second, Christ, first and second century Christianity in the Middle East and then in uh, 12th, 13th, and 14th century Christianity in the European theater that people would come to Jesus at the execution of Christians. How many of you want to go and sit in prison and be like the guy that just went in the electric chair? I want to be like him. You see, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever they, they were seeing on these people that gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And in the 21st century in North Korea and China and um, Ethiopia and Chad. Where people are coming to Christ in the Middle East again. Christianity is again the fastest growing religion in the world. Why? Because Christians are facing death again. You see, that's the power of the Holy Spirit.
There's no other way to explain it. Christians were so different in the way they faced life, adversity, and death that many of the pagans and unbelievers were one to Christ. They were drawn by a people who demonstrated a purpose beyond themselves. Theologian F.B. Meyer says this, Christians thus formed a new race and were members of the divine family, partaking of influences and energies that were unknown to other men. You see, that's the Holy Spirit. The ministry concerning judgment, number three, speaks to the removal of the authority of Satan and the institution of the kingdom of God. Satan no longer holds humanity in the unbreakable grip of sin. You can be free. I, folks, I can tell you, it grieves me so much. I've been to church in places where the pastor will stand up and pre preach, and he'll say, you're going to sin every day. And the people just go, amen, like they're get, looking forward to it. Oh, yeah, I got it laid out already, Pastor. <laughs> You're going to sin every day, but Jesus died so you can be forgiven. Yes, but he died so you can be free. See, concerning judgment means that the prince of this world is judged. He no longer holds you in an unbreakable grip. That grip of sin can be broken in the name of Jesus Christ. The ambassadorial authority as Christ's ambassadors, that goes beyond personal salvation goes beyond personal righteousness. It's marked by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of these same people just preach, well, you get the Holy Spirit when you get saved. The Holy Spirit is active in salvation. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is so opposite of selfless, and He's so intertwined with who Jesus is and who the Father is. Uh, you can say, Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit says, yes. Not, you don't deal with God without dealing with the Holy Spirit. You don't deal with the Holy Spirit without dealing with God. You don't deal with the Holy Spirit without dealing with Jesus. He's all and in all. They got fancy words for that too. But it just means Jesus is in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in Jesus, and the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father, and the Spirit is in the Father, and the Father's in the Spirit, and they all live in each other. Everybody understand that? Don't be lying to me again. I don't. I just know it's true. I don't understand it. It doesn't compute. My tiny little brain doesn't wrap around all of this stuff. I just know it's true. Now, there's some debate as to whether speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of this experience. And I have really good friends that are really powerful in the Lord that can tell you both ways i have really good friends that are filled with the holy spirit and power that will argue both sides of this argument whether the speaking in tongues is the evidence the initial evidence but let me tell you something that jesus said jesus said that supernatural power and compulsive witness will follow and are the definitive results of the baptism of the holy spirit I don't ever want to stop anybody from speaking in tongues, praying in tongues. But Paul said, don't do that. Don't forbid that. And when I'm in trouble, that's where I'm going because the Holy Spirit knows how to pray when I don't. You pray in the Spirit. And 
someday when we have time to unpack all of the stuff there, I would love to come do that. And I, that gets really close to inviting myself to the birthday party. But Pastor Rich knows me. He'll forgive me. And the Holy Spirit was promised to Jesus by the Father and given to the church by Jesus. But the Holy Spirit has gifts of his own now to give to the church. And the gifts of the Spirit are given because he loves the church and the people that will be added to it. Okay, now listen. The gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit do not, listen, do not prove anything really about the person that's being used to give those gifts. Those gifts don't prove anything about the sanctity or the humility or the cleanness or the holiness of anybody that's involved. They prove that the Holy Spirit loves the church and the people that will be added to it. Now that ought to answer your questions about why does the Holy Spirit move through that scumbag? Because all of you have known or heard of scumbags that, you know, had this gift of healing, gift of prophecy, or preached the gospel, and the Holy Spirit moves through those people not because they're special, but because you're special. Remember Balaam's donkey? Anytime you get proud of, oh, the Holy Spirit used me for this, like, Dumb donkey. Okay, the manifestation of one or more gifts of the Spirit does not necessarily validate the person through whom he works. Now, there's got to be a certain willing submission to the Holy Spirit. Okay, they've got that. But they're given, the gifts and the leading of the Holy Spirit are given to every person so that all will benefit. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 7. If you're taking notes, that's a good one to write. Now that the fact that these manifestations are called gifts indicates that they're not earned by piety or exceptional spirituality. They validate the Word of God, not the person. Okay, the gifts of the Spirit validate the Word of God, not the person. Now, the gifts of the Spirit differ from ministry gifts of Christ to the church. The ministry gifts of Christ to the church are individuals with enhanced abilities to accomplish certain tasks and fulfill ongoing mission. These are pastors, apostles, pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, right? The gifts of the Spirit are given in a manner that makes it clear that He decides how He will minister and through whom He will do it. Okay, and I prefer to categorize those in three ways. Knowledge, power, and utterance. Okay, gifts of, uh, he uses the gifts to enhance his ministry as our teacher, our paraclete, or our empower, and our guide. So as our teacher, he seeks to complete what is lacking in us so that we become like Jesus. The goal of teaching from a biblical perspective is more than mere knowledge. Mere knowledge. It's the disciple become like his teacher in every way. Now, we've been using this word paraclete, and it was translated comforter. Our language, comfort, has come to mean something different than what it did 400 years ago. So I want to just give you a little refresher. A paraclete is like a life coach, a mentor, and a power booster all in one. In the Greek, paraclete can have so many different uh, ramifications. That's why I think Jesus and the Apostle John chose that word. Because it can include a lot of different areas. And it's, but it's like life coach, power booster, empower. He can, it does it all. But as our guide, he leads us into all truth. 
This is Paraclete. He shows us what to do and how to get stronger. Okay. Now, like I said earlier, the gifts of the Spirit are not an indicator of the holiness or a special spiritual condition of the individual through whom the gift is given. That could be plus or minus. But the fruit of the Spirit, however, is a result of time spent in the relationship with the Holy Spirit. Obedience to His leading. That's where it goes. It's a result of abiding in Christ until His nature has the chance to permeate us and generate godly character. There should be nothing to prevent us from fully exercising love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, this morning, there are so many ways that the Holy Spirit wants to minister to and through you, but it all has to do with encouraging and increasing the kingdom of of God through Jesus Christ. You see, there's so many varied ways. And he's given me a, a word, a prophetic word for a 84-year-old little old lady in a nursing home one time. Sweet little Baptist lady. I taught her granddaughter and great-granddaughters in, in, in choir. She was just sitting there, and I, and I looked at her, and, and suddenly the Lord revealed that she'd been having prophetic dreams. And you don't tell some sweet little 84-year-old Baptist lady that she'd been having prophetic dreams. You'll be calling 911 right there. The Holy Spirit said, gently tell her, you've been having dreams, haven't you, where you see people's faces and you don't have any idea who they are. Well, let me tell you, Jesus is giving you those dreams so that you can pray, about, pray for those people. They're people in foreign lands that you don't know, but they're going to come up to you in heaven and say, thank you for praying for me. Now, if I'd come across all charismatic and say, Father God has a word for you. You're praying for people in foreign lands, and you'll see them in heaven. And, and she'd have just had a, her own little stroke right there and been gone. You see, the Holy Spirit can also work on method. The problem most of us have is our exposure to the Holy Spirit has been within the context of church. And so when we start getting anointed with the Holy Spirit, we think, oh, I'm going to preach. But let me tell you something. I've been both places. I've been in retail. I owned a lumber and hardware store for five years. I saw as many of my employees saved during that time as the owner and manager of a lumber and hardware store and customers touched with the love of God, I saw as many touched during that time as any comparable time in ministry as a full-time pastor. I've taught school now for a total of 15 years. And during comparable times in school, I can tell you the number of coworkers, students, and parents that have been touched by the love and power of Jesus Christ is roughly equivalent to the actual ministry that went forth. And I can tell you it was harder to be, feel encouraged. When I was preaching every week, boy, I could just kind of say, oh, I've been doing a lot of good. And people would nod at me and shake my hand and nod and go up and down and just go out and not listen to a word. You know, so out of the 100, 150 people at church, you know, you get one of them a week. I got 150 kids in class every week. 
and one of them will go out touched by the Holy Spirit. Wherever you are, the Holy Spirit wants to move through you. You see, the Holy Spirit is not trying to put you back in the ministry. He's trying to keep you in ministry. Wherever you are. The secret of the church is that we are full of the Holy Spirit out there. Now, how would you respond? Let me tell you what. My effect for the kingdom of God has to do with the Holy Spirit in me, through me, and my willingness to walk in that. And I can tell you after 41 years of doing this, yes, I'm an old guy. After 41 years, didn't matter what my occupation was, my vocation was the same. You see, it doesn't matter what your occupation is, really. Your vocation, your calling in the Lord is the same. And I can tell you that no matter what my occupation was, my vocation had the same result and effect that the Holy Spirit wanted it to have. And I can go back and just pretty much back it up with numbers. I want to encourage you, don't sit in the pew and think, boy, if I can just make it till next week, I'll come back and get charged up. Well, if I can just crawl through to next week. I want you to go out of here and say, today, Holy Spirit, we are going to conquer our little world together. Holy Spirit, lead me. Learn to listen to him. Learn to walk with him. Learn to let his spirit speak through you. I've, it took him 35 years or so, but in the last four or five years, I've learned how to stand in front of a class of physics students and witness to the truth of the gospel without getting in trouble with the ACLU. It can be done. The Holy Spirit. Now, there may come a time when I'm challenged and the Holy Spirit says, meet it head on. Give your life. The Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. And let me tell you something. I've had times when I, I felt like I was so full of the Spirit and it was like, jump off the building. Who was that? That was the devil. Okay. Kill yourself. He'll save you. But there will come a time in almost everyone's life where you're challenged to put your life in danger in a different way. Speak the truth, no matter what. If it means sudden death or the loss of job or the loss of anything, the Holy Spirit will lead you into a situation. Not, not test the Holy Spirit, obey the Holy Spirit at the cost of your life. How will you respond to the Holy Spirit? You say, I've been in a few situations where the Holy Spirit said, step out, risk your life. It was never in jumping off of things. But it was stepping across the line where my future was no longer secure. It's stepping across the line where I didn't know the next step. It's stepping across the line when the next step could have been into poverty, death, or anything else. Going into places where you shouldn't, you know, people say, don't go there. In the Holy Spirit. How will you respond? You see, Jesus is Lord, but the Holy Spirit is going to be the boss. If you're going to walk in the Holy Spirit, He's going to be the boss. You don't get the, the power to decide how you're going to live or who you're going to listen to. It's going to be the Holy Spirit, or He's going to back off and just let you kind of go with it.
He will lead you. He will speak through you and to you and in direct relation to your willingness to recognize that He is God and you're not. You see, will you spend time in the written Word of God and prayer to know Him better? Will you practice obedience? About 20 years ago, it was going through everybody. How many of you heard the expression, get over yourself? Will you do that? Will you get over your sweet little self? When you mess up and His will turns out not to be your will? When your will and His will don't line up, will you be able to get over yourself? In short, will you cooperate with the Holy Spirit? How will you face it today? Will you stand before the Holy Spirit and go out of this place with power and anointing that doesn't show off, but it shows up? He's an amazing God. He's smarter than you are. Everybody going, huh? Yeah. I hate to admit that. I hate to admit that. I want to always be the smartest guy in the room. He's been working on me for thir- almost 37 years now to not, you know, to know that I'm not. He gave me my darling little wife <laughs> to let me know when I'm messing up. And she loves me so much. Can you imagine? I want to be the smartest guy in the room. I wanted to see with his eyes. I want, I want to be so spiritual. I want to see with his eyes, hear with his ears, love with his heart. I just love what Liz had to say this morning to share. How he, he works with a broken heart. He doesn't care about your abilities, but that heart that's broken. See, he had to break my heart so it could get big enough to hold more of him. How will you respond? Will you respond to the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, if you'll break my heart, okay. Because if you harden your heart, the world will break your heart, and it won't put it back together. If you let the Holy Spirit, he'll break your heart, and it'll get bigger and stronger. It's amazing what he'll do. How will you respond to the Holy Spirit? Will you stand with me for just a moment? And I just think it's good for us to stand and respond to the Holy Spirit. Because when we're asking the Holy Spirit to lead us, what's the first thing we've got to do? Get his hands on the steering wheel. And what's the next thing we've got to do? Start moving. I'm sorry. Yeah, let it go yourself, of course. But start moving. See, I'll let my little kids in the car, and they can turn that wheel back and forth all they want to as long as the key's not in it. Why? Because it ain't going nowhere. It's not going anywhere until you turn on the key. Don't ask the Holy Spirit to steer a parked car. That's why Jesus said, go. He filled him with the Holy Spirit, and then he said, go. How will you respond? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for today. And Lord, I...